You're listening to To Dine for the Podcast, the Shot Put Media production, presented by MasterCard. Start something priceless. What's better in life than a bottle of wine, great food, and an amazing conversation? My name is Kate Sullivan, and I am the host of To Dine For. I'm a journalist, a foodie, a traveler with an appetite for the stories of people who are hungry for more. Dreamers, visionaries, artists, those who hustle hard in the direction they love. I travel with them to their favorite restaurant to hear how they did it. This show is a toast to them and their American dream. To Dine for the Podcast is brought to you by Terlato Wine Group. American National Insurance, and Spiritless. At the beginning of this podcast, I ask, what's better in life than a bottle of wine, great food, and an amazing conversation? While the To Dine For podcast provides the restaurants and the people, where are you getting your wine? Uncork.com is an online wine shop that brings the best part of buying wine right into your home. This carefully curated collection of wines range in price to accommodate every budget, from everyday best buys all the way to very special occasion wines. Uncork.com features family-owned wineries from all corners of the globe, California to France, Washington to Italy. If you're looking to broaden your wine horizons, learn about new producers and get great customer service, just like your local wine shop, head over to uncork.com. Use code TDF20 to get 20% off your first purchase. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. For 115 years, American National has remained committed to helping people and communities make a real difference in their lives. American National supports great local community organizations led by the kind of people you hear about on To Dine For people who are inspired to make a difference and inspire others in return. American National's philosophy is helping where it's needed helps us all. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write, and the states in which they're licensed, visit americannational.com dine. Before we get to the podcast, I want to share the story of three young women who are carving their own path in the beverage industry. They started a company called Spiritless. Their first product is called Kentucky 74, and it's a non-alcoholic bourbon. You can use it as the base for so many delicious mocktails or drink it by itself on the rocks. What I like to do is go halvesies, meaning you mix it with a foolproof bourbon to lower the ABV in your cocktail. I put a little honey, cinnamon, and an orange slice, and it is truly delicious. If you'd like to enjoy an evening cocktail with no guilt, you can use promo code to dine for to get free shipping. Welcome to To Dine For The Podcast, where we meet the world's most fascinating and innovative minds at their favorite restaurant. On today's episode is Janice Bryant Howroyd. The biggest superpower I have is actually the overcoming of the issues I had. I've been in business for years, and this is as recent as five, six years ago. I finally forgave myself for being Black, female, and smart at the same time. Janice Bryant Howroyd is one of the most accomplished and resilient self-made women in America with an incredible life story. 
She was born in Tarboro, North Carolina, to a family with 10 siblings, and she was the first African-American student to attend her town's previously segregated high school. In 1978, after working for her brother-in-law at Billboard magazine, Janice took a $900 loan from her mother to start a staffing agency called the Act One Group. Since then, the Act One Group has become one of the largest and most successful staffing agencies in the world, making Janice the first African-American woman to be the founder and CEO of a billion-dollar company. She has written a book called Acting Up, Winning in Business and Life Using Down-Home Wisdom. Please enjoy my interview with Janice Bryant-Howroyd. First of all, Janice, thank you so much for agreeing to do To Dine for the podcast. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I just did a deep dive into your background and your story. It is incredible. But I am going to begin this podcast the way I begin every podcast, which is talking about someone's favorite restaurant. You're from North Carolina. You live in California. If we were to dine, where would you take me? Okay, so here's the thing, Kate. I am from North Carolina, as you said, and I'm a woman of a certain age, regardless of what you see. And so um, I really love most eating at home. I'm going to give you my favorite Mm. restaurant, but Mm -hmm. if I really like you, I'm going to invite you to eat at home. I'm not a fantastic cook. I probably don't even reach great, but I'm enthusiastic and I love it. And I traveled (laughs) so much pre-COVID that I was on the road three weeks out of the month. So my favorite restaurant has some of the things I love to eat in abundance, and it's called True Food. It's not the fanciest place you'll ever go to. Truth is, I'm usually in jeans and a t-shirt, and I'm sitting outdoors. Sweet potatoes and peanuts are my favorite foods on earth, done any way you can do them. I even figure out how to make them the bigger part of meat when I'm cooking meat. I I, I get kind of lucky because, you know, I love peasant food. I love it on uh, on really fine china, but I love peasant food. And so you're talking about from the garden, you're talking about sweet potatoes and you're talking about peanuts. And do you go soul food like chicken fried chicken, chicken fried steak, or do you prefer to go a healthier version? I do it all. (laughs) Now, for myself, I tend to go healthy simply because I have these two adult kids who were raised in Southern California. And so they were raised on the idea that we have to eat a certain way. We have to get so much outdoor time. And they are just so incredibly smart. And they actually happen to love investing time with me. You know, so we share a lot of time together. So I've adopted a lot of their traits on a lot of things and food is one of them. But I got to say, you know, in allegiance to my family, we ate pretty healthy because while we did fry a lot of fish and chicken, because I love fried fish and you can't get more than 30 miles from a fish hole in North Carolina. We were pretty healthy because we didn't have a lot of the other stuff. You know, we didn't have fast foods and, and daddy couldn't afford to buy a lot of the treats that people bought that came with a lot of preservatives. So we learned, I mean, we made our own ice cream out of snow when it snowed. Yeah. In the oh, wow. So yeah. 
we just scraped the top off and made ice cream from the bottom when we were lucky enough to get snow. So that's the kind of gal I am, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. So you grow up in Tarboro, North Carolina. You're one of 10 siblings. I actually had 10 siblings. I'm one of 11. I had 10 siblings. And your question is about my parents and how they raised us. Yeah. What is it about, what do you remember growing up that is a guiding principle that stays with you today? Well, I got to tell you, uh, and you probably have a lot of it too, because I did a little bit of homework on you too, and I just adore you. Thank you for the work you do. Uh, Growing up, as I did in Carolina, so much of what they taught me are basically fundamental to who I am today. I mean, I've written about it in both of my books. I teach about it when I speak. And I think the core of it kind of iterated or evolved into my life mantra, which is never compromise who you are personally to become Mm. who you wish to be professionally. They had so many isms as we were growing up. You know, education is freedom. Um, Together we win, which is Mm. now these many years later in a lot of my content in my company. And it was a rally cry for my teams as we all went through COVID. Together we Mm. win. How simple is that? How dynamic Mm -hmm. is it? You know, they were incredible people. You know, you don't have podcast time enough for me to tell you just how impacting they were. Uh, Sophia on Golden Girls would say, picture this. Okay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I don't know if you relate to Golden Girls. Oh, absolutely. Sicily, 1978, right? I remember. (laughs) Okay. The young ones know too. I thought only us older gals knew. Uh, But here's the thing. Mom and dad married very young, raised 11 children in the deep South as we weren't yet African-American. I started out colored. Mm. I think by the time I graduated, I was black, but Mm. they raised 11 of us in the deep South. They had an incredible passion for each other. The last time I saw my dad alive, he was holding my mom and they were kissing like they were 16 years old, you know, mm. at the front door because he was going off one of those fishing holes. I told you, actually, he was going to the ocean taking uh, two fellas who worked with him uh, fishing and a storm uh, came up and dad uh, didn't make it home to us. He gave oh, his so life sorry. jacket to one of the kids who had lost theirs. And mom oh had some gosh. feelings about him doing that for a lot of years because I still had siblings who were younger at that time. But you ask about how we grew up. We grew up with a father who gave his life jacket to save somebody else's son. Wow. And what that means and what that says and how that shapes you. And and watching mom grow from that. She had to grow from that because dad had five sons of his own Mm. and three of them had not yet graduated high school. Mm. One was in grade school. And so that meant some of his kids didn't get to have him and know him as an adult, as I did. Right. And mom is such a champion. I mean, if you want to see someone who has, you know, that genteel old school Southern softness Mm -hmm. with the discipline and strength, you know, of a warrior, you know, I mean, behind her back, sometimes we call her Boudicca. You know, she's like (laughs) such a warrior woman, you know, but she's soft and she's gentle and she's lovely and she sits at the piano and she can play and she can sing gospel songs, you know? Oh, that's beautiful. They were very embracing. A large part of my life is created from my faith. Mom 
taught us that the biggest part of our faith, especially as Christians, was to be embracing of others, mm-hmm. regardless of where their faith is, and mm-hmm. especially if they have not determined one. It sounds like both your mother and your father were people who really lived what they believed. And it it came out of everything that they did and everything that they were. And and that 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 is powerful and that affects how you move through the world, right? Yeah, and, and Kate, you know, when you say that, I'm so I, I, I'm so interested in how you heard that too, because that is very much the truth in the many conversations I've had with people over my life. You're the first to bring it up in that way. And here's the thing that they lived what they believed so foundationally, so Mm -hmm. fundamentally. Yeah, you might say they didn't have much to distract them from their faith in a small southern town on dad's income. But at the time I grew up, we were facing some of the nation's biggest civil issues around race and gender. And they still kept us focused from our faith, you know? And mom used to always say to us, you don't have to focus on your faith if you're focused from it. You know, you can meet and you can work with people and you can love people and respect where they are. You don't have to urge everybody to where you are. You can meet them where they are sometimes when you are focused from your faith instead of on your faith. Let, let's talk about you creating Act One, because I'm so fascinated to hear what inspired you. You took out a $900 loan from your mother, and just people who are listening need to know that Act One is uh, an employment agency, a talent management, where you are actively looking for great talent to, to pair with companies. So, you know, they say some people have the entrepreneurial spirit in them. And other people develop it. Where did that come from? What was the inspiration to create Act One? I've answered this differently for you had you asked me pre-COVID. Over COVID, with the conversations with mom, I actually learned, and some of this is in my book in a very brief way, but I learned from mom just how strong the entrepreneurial spirit does run through our family on her side. Now, my dad's brothers were entrepreneurs as well, but mom had entrepreneurs throughout her family tree, but back then people weren't incorporating. They just ran the business, you know, and they didn't post their prices. You paid what you had if they were okay with it, you know? Uh, So, yeah. But for me, I think some of that spirit is very much how I started Act One. So I say that to kind of illuminate this point. Kate, when I came to California, I came looking for a job. I I wasn't even looking for a career. Okay. Mm. I came on a vacation having fun with my sister. And shortly thereafter, she didn't want me to go home. So I found myself looking for a job. And I thought I would sustain my stay a little longer. Well, that vacation I came on, I'm still on right now, right? Uh, In some ways. But in my search for work, I didn't find the treatment I wanted in how the agencies were escorting me. They all worked for the companies who were paying their fees. And that's something I took to mind when I started my company. In our company, we say the worker, the applicant, the candidate is the center of the universe. It's always been that way. When a job happens, 
The applicant got the book. The applicant got the Valentine's candy. The applicant got the note, you know, and, and, and actually it's paid well because by creating opportunities for people who can enjoy the work that's quite well suited to where they are in their lives, as well as in their uh, skills, they end up happier. They grow forward and a candidate gets a good return on investment and they come back. So good, in fact, that we offer in our company as well a 550, which basically says if a, if someone we place in your company leaves before any time before five years, you get a replacement for 50% of the fee. Nobody wow. was doing that. Nobody's been doing that. We've been doing that for years, you know, but we focus on who we are escorting through work. What I'm hearing from you is that it started from a problem that you faced when you were looking for a job in California and you saw that people were not putting you at the center of your job search. And you said, aha, I'm going to put the actual employee who's looking for a job at the center of the job search. So, Kate, and when are you coming to work for me? You're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just wondering, first of all, that, 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 that shows a lot of forethought. It shows a lot of problem solving. It shows uh, looking at this landscape and looking at it differently. But what was it about you that said, I'm going to run my own agency. I'm going to create something from nothing. We'll have more on this conversation in just a minute. But first, Thank you to our sponsors. If you're like me, there are times when you want to feel like you're having a fancy cocktail, but you don't actually want the alcohol. So I love Kentucky 74 from Spiritless. It's a distilled, non-alcoholic spirit for your favorite bourbon cocktails, but with just 15 calories per serving and none of the guilt. You can pre-order your bottle today at spiritless.com. Use the promo code to dine for to get free shipping. To Dine For the podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. There's a funny thing about most insurance commercials, whether they feature lizards or birds or funny cartoon characters. It seems like they want you to think about anything but insurance. American National, on the other hand, has real local agents who get to know you so they can help you reach better decisions about your insurance to make sure you're protecting what matters most to you. American National Agents are part of your community. They're your neighbors. So whether it's solutions for your home, your small business, your farm, or your life, you can count on your local American National Agent to make sure you get the discounts you deserve and the protection you need without paying for extras you don't. With American National, you get an ally, not just a web page. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write in the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com dine. At the beginning of this podcast, I ask, what's better in life than a bottle of wine, great food, and an amazing conversation? While the To Dine For podcast provides the restaurants and the people, where are you getting your wine? Uncork.com is an online wine shop that brings the best part of buying wine right into your home. This carefully curated collection of wines range in price to accommodate every budget, from everyday best buys all the way to very special occasion wines. Uncork.com features family-owned wineries from all corners of the globe, California to France, Washington to Italy. If you're looking to broaden your wine horizons, learn about new producers and get great customer service, just like your local wine shop, head over to uncork.com. 
Use code TDF20 to get 20% off your first purchase. Now back to our conversation. But what was it about you that said, I'm going to run my own agency. I'm going to create something from nothing. Didn't even think that way. Didn't even think that way. And you talk about the challenges I faced motivating the uh, company that I built. But isn't that where most innovation comes from? I mean, sometimes people Mm. just wonder, you know, the blessed or they just really wonder and they create stuff. But the majority of us who are innovating on earth are doing that from challenges we see, you know, how do we make this better? How do we make this happen? How, 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 you know, it's very not often why. But you were very early on in your job search. You were a young woman. And what made you think that you could do it and that you wanted to do it. Hey girl, look, I want to be a shero. I want to say, yeah, you know, but when I was growing up, that little girl in North Carolina, I didn't even know what workforce solutions were. I'll tell you what happened. My brother-in-law, Tommy, I had come out on vacation to visit my sister. She and her husband, Tommy, were going off to Italy to attend the Nimic conference. That's an entertainment industry, music industry conference they were going to. And they extended it for a vacation. So when they got back several weeks later, and Tommy had left me to keep his office going, uh, he found it completely changed. And he thought, I've said this publicly, he thought I worked magic and I just gave black girl magic what happened to me, right? Yes, it was. <laughs> In any event, he thought I'd just done something incredible. He encouraged me to do it for a couple of friends of his, went in, reorganized, helped them hire. They loved what I'd done. We were sitting by Sandy and Tommy's pool on a Saturday and he asked me how much I charged and I had forgotten to even charge him. You know, wow. I hadn't even said Because you bill. loved it. You enjoyed it. You loved well, it. Because I was doing a, I was doing something for his friends. And he said, yes. uh-huh. But see, you got a business there, you know. And mm. even before we were, uh, we had Mika and others telling us to know our worth. Tommy was saying, know your worth, know your worth, you know. And I've learned along my journey that oftentimes what you get paid is not what you're worth. It's what Mm. you do is worth to someone else. But there's still that core value in understanding what your worth is. And he helped me to see that as a professional, even after mom and dad have worked so brilliantly at helping us see that as human beings. What is it about you and when you meet with clients and employees What are you looking for to determine where they would be best suited? Attitude, attitude, attitude. There's so much of the stuff of what we do that we can teach people. We really earn well and we deliver well on the stuff that people bring to the table themselves. And attitude is key amongst that. When we were kids, here comes another um, mommyism hashtag. When we actually, it was my dad. When we were kids, my uh, dad would always encourage us that if we went to bed and we had arguments with each other, remember there were 11 of us at one point in that house mm-hmm. as kids, 13 people in a house every day. And he said, if you go to bed angry, it's your attitude. It's not your aptitude. Mm-hmm. And he said, your mom didn't birth any dumb kids. So you got to figure out how to adjust around attitude. And all these years later, whether it is in client relationships, whether it's employees, I find very often people have hired for the right skill sets, but they've not looked for those soft skills. And Mm. today, 
as we are iterating how work occurs, Kate, and we have hybrid work solutions and workstations, attitude is shooting higher up on that chart for other people now yes. in how they are hiring. Yes. It's, it's, it's very important, not just about how people get along, but how you actually get stuff done. Yes. And, and and you bring up something that people don't talk about enough, and that is the soft skills, the communication, the listening that people can feel, even if they're working virtually. And it is how you move through the world, like who you are at your core, that I think makes you a valuable employee. And some of these, some of these soft skills can be taught, and some have to be learned. Mm. And, and, and by that, I mean, you know, when you talk about the soft skills of critical thinking or how you manipulate through digital literacy, it becomes very important that you've experienced your way to some of that, because mm -hmm. then you're able to lean on that, lean back on that in order to move problem solving forward, be a part of a team. Some people don't know how to be a part of a team, and it's not because they're bad people or have poor attitudes. They don't have that experience. Very often and for a long time, I've said that wisdom is simply the brilliant marriage of knowledge and experience. Mm. And we have to think about that. The other thing I think, and this, this is what I'm saying, when we're working with people in from leadership roles, we have to understand that you don't manage people, you manage process, you lead people. Mm. That's a soft skill that, mm -hmm. so when you think about it, it's not just those, you know, next gens and 30 and 20 somethings who are coming into the workforce quickly. It's also those people who grew up in a different work culture yes. who thought you managed people. You get your best outcomes when you manage processes and well-managed processes allow you more time to lead people. And when you lead people, you help to elevate soft skills. And that's mm. when you bring value to the people who are bringing value to your organization. Have that you followed good. me on that? I absolutely have. And it's uh, two thoughts come to mind. One, uh, when we talk about teamwork and working as a team and how it's an acquired skill. I imagine being one of 11, that came very naturally to you to work in a team because you had to every day. And second of all, when you look at the, the scope of your work and, and, and with Act One, and you think of all the different things that you, and different skills that you've had to employ to not only create this business, but to scale it, what do you think is your superpower or what you are uniquely good at that is very Janus? The biggest superpower I have is actually the overcoming of the issues I had. And this is that I've been in business for years and this is as recent as five, six years ago. I finally forgave myself for being Black, female, and smart at the same time. Mm, what do you mean? When I did that, I unlocked my holy trinity. Wow. And why did you have to forgive yourself for being black, female, and smart? I had to forgive myself because I had burdened myself with how other people saw me, how they mm. measured me. Now, mm. later in my life, and very common amongst a lot of black people even today, 
we say, it's not what they call you. And you get that church chorus back. It's what you answer to, you know? Mm. I didn't say that to myself growing up, even though mom and dad taught me that. The world was really big when I left Tarboro, North Carolina, population never over 12,000 people. Mm. And even though they had prepared me with so much, I had work to do myself. Mm. I mean, you imagine... I have traveled to over 57 countries. I have teams and we work today in in over 30 countries, in over 32 countries, brick and mortar. We're delivering workforce solutions to organizations that integrate our own design technology along with our talent and our processes. And we're doing that in not just in different geographies, but in different cultures, different languages and And because we manage information, we have to integrate so much cyber and so much risk aversion into how we do that while delivering a very local service from very universally designed programs. Gosh, Kate, that's been a long journey (laughs) from a little girl who grew up in a town where the only work I ever saw adults do was either maids in people's houses across the town or gardeners, or working in on the farms, because we still had local owned farms back then, picking cotton and working in tobacco. I saw teachers and preachers as the most professional people in my life. And we only had one Black doctor, which meant only one doctor was serving the whole community that I lived in. That's what I come from. This is truly incredible, Janice. So the question is, how did you make that leap? How did you make that jump over that chasm? Not only how you see the world professionally, what you were then asked to do, tasked with doing, what you were up against as far as just pure racism and sexism, because they were both coming at you, I am sure of it. How did you traverse that to become one of the most successful business women of a generation? Two things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens. Understanding my deep spiritual strength, okay? Mm. You see, faith is not about weakness for me. And a lot of people say, okay, faith is a crutch. Well, there are a lot of Mm. broken people. They can use a crutch. I'm not Mm. one of them anymore. I work Mm. from strength. My faith is Mm. my strength. And the other one is, Faith without works is dead. Mm. It's not enough to believe it. You have to be living it. And so putting that to work in my life has helped me fundamentally. And it continues to be very core to how I grow forward. There are two other things that need to be mentioned, though. My family is a very educated family. And in those early years, it was my family who uh, stepped in for me. My brother Mm. was an accountant working a job in a major corporation early on and working for me at night. And once he came on board and we had enough business that he could do that, my, my sister who I came on vacation for was the one who taught me how to set up offices. And This is a family affair. That's why I think the culture of our organization leans so much on assuring that individuals are winning before we count what the collective growth is of our organization. We've got leadership in the company who are incredible people who are, I don't just know them by their titles. I know them by their names and their children's names, you know, Mm. and the tenure 
of these people, Jeff Kornreich, even my own son who started in the company over 20 years ago and loves, loves working in here. So how do we get new creative thought? Hire more people, not hire new people. Because there's something that has to be said here. Mm -hmm. And that is, there's a lot of conversation in my industry about the great resignation and how people are just quitting companies and leaving companies. People don't leave companies, they leave managers. It's going Uh, right back to what you and I were talking about earlier, about leading people and managing processes. And fear has caused a lot of even good, maybe adequate leaders to fall into management Mm -hmm. instead of leadership, you -hmm. know? And and I think we got to be really examining that as we look at this new world of work, where the Mm -hmm. workers, the professionals, the people who are getting the checks that have somebody else's company name on it are calling the shots more and more about how work happens. Mm -hmm. People are aware of their own brand. We have people, over 70% of the people who come into our offices, literally or digitally, looking for work, have their own websites. They're, mm-hmm. they're aware of who they are, even if they're not right about it. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? When I asked the question about everything that you have had to overcome to create this company and to scale it and to make it the behemoth and the success that it is. I thought it was really interesting how you answered that question. And I think it's something really important for anyone listening to kind of hear again. And that is, you really have to come from a place of knowing who you are, right? And you kind of explained that very clearly. And then also having a support system. And you really talked about your family working for you and you'd created this culture and environment of, of, of trust that allowed you to begin the journey of building this business. And those two things together, I imagine you could face almost anything when you had those two things, knowing who you are and then creating this base of trust and working with really great people. It's so important, you know, and you remember I was talking with you about being a part of a team. When we grew up, (laughs) we anagrammed it, treating everyone as myself, teaching everyone as myself. Now, that was critical for us growing up as kids because, first of all, mom and dad lived on the idea of respect. And Mm -hmm. I learned in my home at a very early age, even though I didn't put language to it until later, that love doesn't have to hurt. Mm -hmm. And so I saw two people who had some really, really what could look like tough times, who made them fun times in our home. And Mm. I can't ever overstate that. The Mm. spirit of humanity Mm. that existed between those two people at such a time in our nation. Yeah, the resilience, what they were up against, and the fact that they still had a loving relationship, they had a Mm -hmm. loving family, and they were overcoming. When you started Act One, what were some of the pain points, and how did you overcome them? Okay, so everything was a pain point. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'd love to tell you different people want to, you know, oh, yesterday, yesterday, I was in an executive conversation. A fireside chat. And I was asked uh, the question, oh, if you could redo any moment in your life, what would you redo? And these people were answering around things they'd gotten wrong. And my answer was, I'd marry my husband again. 
My husband passed away just over a year ago. He transitioned oh, so of, uh, of Alzheimer's mm -hmm. and what an incredible person he is. But that's another podcast visit. Okay. Too long, too <laughs> long. Uh, uh, and tears of joy as well as sadness are, you know, there. Thank God. So when you talk about pain points, yes, I've got a lot of them. Yeah. But it's the gain points that I care about. And how did I mm. get over them? I was maybe six, seven months ago, don't hold me on timelines. I was doing a lot of conversations with people. And prior to COVID, whenever I go into offices, Apple One offices, you know, our staffing offices, uh, everybody knew they had to be ready to recite the poem, those who really wanted to show off, or the others would read it. But it was a poem that dad had made us learn when we were in fourth grade. And all of us had to learn it. What was the poem? If by Rudyard Kipling. Oh. Think about these times we're living in now. And see, I take poetic license and change the gender, okay, and make it gender inclusive. But think about this poem in our times now, Kate. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing beers and blaming it on you, if you can trust yourself when all people doubt you, but make allowances for their doubting too. If you can wait and not be tired by waiting, or being lied about, don't deal in lies or being hated. Don't give way to hating. And yet don't always have to look too good or talk too wise. And if you can dream and not make dreams your master, if you can think and not make thoughts your aim, if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same, if you can hear, bear to hear the truth you've spoken, twist it by knaves to make a trap for fools, or Watch the things you've given your life to broken and stoop and build them up with your worn out tools. If you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss and then lose and start over at your beginning and never read a word about what you lost. If you can force your heart and nerve and send you to serve you their turn long after they're gone and so hold on when there's nothing in you except the will which says to them, hold on. And I love this part. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue or walk with kings, nor lose the common touch. If neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, all people count with you, but none too much. And if you can fill that one unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, then yours is the earth and everything in it. And mm. what's more, in life, you will have won. Wow. Now I changed that poem up a little bit. Oh, my dad made me memorize that too. May, he made me re memorize the same poem. So it, About it's the same time in your life, right? Yes. And it, I almost started to cry when you were reading it because it is so powerful. Thank you for sharing it again. Don't we need that right now? Yes, Can't we yes. win from that right now? Yes. And, and while we're while we're waiting to see how the world resolves itself, even if we were to limit it to the USA, but think about it globally. We have everything we need to be everything we need to be. How do we not keep the humanity in who we are? For years in my company, our rally cry was keep the humanity in human resources, you know, mm -hmm. because we often bought skill 
as though we were buying people. Yes. You know? Yes. And, 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 and we can so use some uplift and some positive thought right now. Mm-hmm. Is that being a Pollyanna? Don't care. Don't care. <laughs> you know? We need it. We need that hope. We need that optimism. We need that relentless looking for the truth and honesty and goodness. We really do. It's so simple. You've heard me say it if you've studied me. Simple doesn't always mean easy. Mm-hmm. The dynamics to climb a mountain are simple. Mm-hmm. Do it. Go do right. it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the thing is, when we team, when we treat everyone as myself, mm-hmm. when we teach everyone as myself, and by that, mom and dad meant don't be selfish about what you know. You know, mm-hmm. holding, and this happens a lot in business, in corporate America, in corporate races around the world. Sometimes the fear of losing means you're going to hold on to what you know. And so you're not going to teach others how to do what you do. Deming taught Toyota a lot of things before Toyota ever came to America. And one of them was to move people around every three years so that they can multi-skill. Now, it may have been done from a perspective of protect the company and don't let people get too comfortable in their leadership. But it's a win regardless of how you spin it. And I think that sharing what we know is so important because people get afraid and they hold on. But we innovate. We talked about this earlier too, the circle of our conversation. We talked about how it's very important that we win together. Together we win. Hmm. Janice, where, to talk to me about where you are right at this moment in your life, because I imagine from where you sit after a, an illustrious career, you could do anything you want. You can't be a blonde, blue-eyed woman. Well, actually, <laughs> yeah, I can. When I was growing up, that's what I thought I wanted to be. I wanted to be Doris Day. I thought Doris Day was the most beautiful woman I'd ever seen. I didn't go for, you know, Ava Gardner, who was from North Carolina. Doris Day did it for me. Her movies, her stories, her singing. Love Doris Day. I'm kind of like, well, no, this is more Judy (laughs) Jetson today. Uh, Who who I liked as well. You know, I had a girl crush on Judy Jetson, too. But you're asking where I am in my life. Yeah. What do you enjoy? What brings you joy? I imagine you were just talking about generosity of spirit in corporate America and and explaining what you know. It is clear that that is something you love to do. You're good at and people want to hear what you've learned through your journey. But do you spend a lot of time doing that or how do you spend your day and what what brings you joy? Well, you know, I'm still on my grind, so I'm still CEOing, although my son is very ready uh, to, to, to do so. Because of that incredible team, that leadership team that I talked about, though, honestly, these guys could kick me out today and they could keep it going. They enjoyed my leadership because of something that I enjoy doing, which is the answer to your question uh, in part. And that is, I love helping to define culture in a way that people can enjoy and find themselves in it, a Mm. part of it. For so much of my life, in so many areas of my life, I was not a part of the culture. I was visiting the culture or I was being given admission or, or, or a view to the culture. And so it's really great to be able to define culture in a way that people find themselves in. 
love, love, love that. Uh, I'm also doing all kinds of things. I mean, we talked about Apple One and the uh, and the staffing company, but all STEM is taking off like fire. So, you know, in our niche business areas where we've determined all STEM is about STEM work, science, technology, mm-hmm. engineering, and math, careers and opportunities for women and people of color, as mm-hmm. well as traditional, you know, and people love what we're doing there. Peter Cavallo's leading that. He's another person, you know, I mean, we're lifers over here. Who's just leading that as president? Brian, I've mentioned Brian. You should see what we're doing globally. And Brian runs all of our Agile One solutions today. David Lewis started with us. He's only ever had two employers in his life. The, the U.S. military and us. And he said, mm-hmm. we're the harder employer, but he's still here. You know, he's still here killing it. You know, I love this, that I'm working with these incredible smart people. And I'm doing other stuff too that I can't talk about yet. I just signed a contract for something I'm doing. That's a lot of fun. Hey, Kate, I may call you back once we get rolling with it too. I'm here and I'm ready for you, Janice, whatever I can do for you. But I, for me, it, when I when I hear your story and I see what you've done, I'm just so incredibly impressed. And I remember had a, having a conversation the other day with a girlfriend when she brought up the word retirement. And I said, I hope I never retire. I love what I do. For me, work is nourishing. And when I can contribute and serve, it is a blessing. And I see that you see it that way too. And you don't have to retire, girl. Retread. (laughs) Retread. I love that. Don't retire, retread. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, someday I hope we can dine in person. And whether it's at True Food or whether it's in your own home, I, I really would love to raise a glass to you and just congratulate you on your amazing career. Hey, well, raise that iced coffee and I'll raise my lemon <laughs> sip. Thank you, Janice. Cheers. Keep your happy, Kate. Keep your happy, okay? Thanks for listening to To Dine For The Podcast. For more information on the show, the guests, and the podcast, head to todinefortv.com. You can find us on Instagram at todinefortv and Facebook at To Dine For with Kate Sullivan. Thanks to the sponsors of To Dine For The Podcast, American National, Spiritless, and Terlato Wine Group. Special thank you to producer and sound editor John Golner. To the loyal followers of this program, cheers, stay hungry, and stay inspired. I'll see you back at the table soon. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.